0: Welcome to another episode
1: of Amazon Legends. My next guest today is someone who had multiple exits on Amazon. He is the founder of BrandedSeller.com, and he's written a book called Aggregator Navigator. You can probably guess where his expertise is. And also, he's the proud father of five kids and three dogs. So I don't know how he finds... The time to do these things so so everybody meet my guest uh, Josh Dietrich welcome to the show Josh
0: hey Nick good to be here thanks for having me
1: oh it's a pleasure to have you so you're the kind of expert uh, on something that everybody will want to learn from and uh, you've obviously eaten your own dog food you you, whatever you are expert on you've actually practiced yourself and written a book on it, and now you help others with it. So tell us what that expertise is.
0: We help brands maximize their profits on a pre-exit basis and help them journey through that uh, process to ensure that they end up with the maximum exit possible. So,
1: So that implies that somebody wants to sell in the first place.
0: Well, I think the question is, when we build businesses, there is a why behind it. And a lot of times it's financial freedom in the beginning, right? Maybe that means just unlimited earning potential. But when we build businesses, we think about the exit in mind and work backwards. And so I I challenge every business owner to explore the process of improving their valuation as they're building their business, right? You can never undo the past, but you can always plan for the future. And so thinking of it that way, there are mistakes that many sellers make. There are opportunities to maximize their profits along the way to maximize that exit. So for us, two of them happened in 21 and, you know, followed my own principles as we led that exit. Pretty exciting.
1: So uh, talk to us about someone who, because I mean, you are a, you are a serial entrepreneur with several exits so you know this is natural to you but your typical entrepreneur first of all your typical entrepreneur is a fairly ideological person right so this guy has a vision to do something it's not money it's create something so the last thing that he has in his mind is how am I going to exit this so that's a professional entrepreneur so Mm -hmm. So people start, it could be something to create and then sell on Amazon. So Mm -hmm. Amazon, of course, is an easy platform in terms of building a business because they take away the hassles of customer service, fulfillment, and all that stuff. So uh, they can just focus on building their product, making a really good product that gets good reviews and then focus on that. So tell us about how somebody like that now suddenly makes exit part of their thought process? And, and what do they do? How do they go about it?
0: I think um, the easy answer is we all start a business for some reason, right? And, and yes, for, for many of us, it's solving a problem. But I'll, I'll be honest, like the drive for me when When you work for someone else and you're putting in 80, 90 hours a week and you're doing great things and you're helping the business grow and it's worth more money now and then it comes to the end of the year and you get a bonus and you're like, thanks for this, right? And and so for me, that was someone telling me what what I was worth. And so my motivation was to gain more time back and opportunity to control my own destiny, unlimited earning potential, do what I love, and so my motivation was very much so just getting out of the corporate path. Like I, I had a, it was a startup company when I started. In seven years, we grew up from three million to fifty, and I tasted all of the entrepreneur uh, excitement that comes with. And and I wanted that for myself. And so for me, that was my drive. And so I wasn't thinking about exiting when I started that business. And that was roughly seven years ago. There was a lot of trial, a lot of error, a lot of dabbling, right? But ultimately, the reason for leaving was different than the reason uh, for leaving the business I sold, right? The exit. So how does someone go from starting a business and then thinking about, not thinking about selling, but then thinking about selling? I think it's fundamental for anyone building a business to build with an exit in mind. Doesn't mean today, doesn't necessarily mean tomorrow. It may not mean for five years, but if you professionalize the, all the aspects working on the business as an owner, as opposed to in it, you start thinking about where operations need help. And along the way, that means improving the things that are draining your profits. So, or, or maybe enhancing your visibility by moving into an inventory management system or an analytics software uh, into you know, a full suite of accounting and using bookkeeping and a, and a great CPA, right? Each of those milestones in parallel are all things that you're doing that work towards building a more valuable business as opposed to just a business. So it does, it's not an overnight thing, but these are things that happen simultaneously where you're keeping the long-term in mind or whatever that goal is for exiting in line with where your business is and being real about where the areas of opportunity are.
1: Yeah. So, you know, what my formula is for this is hmm. whatever business you're running, and and however that business is running where you are doing certain things because clearly you are the engine as the business owner so uh, sometimes you are the engine but you are also doing the work as well as, well as pushing everybody forward right. uh, you basically wanna make yourself totally
0: irreplaceable to irrelevant. the
1: business that needs you on day-to-day basis. So you are there to make key decisions and prioritize what's important for the company. But as Not far sure. as day-to-day business operations, you should be never part of it. It should run itself. So if you bring the business to that point, then that means it has value, right?
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And and again, depending on the individual's needs, maybe the certain entrepreneur is very talented at identifying new products and starting new products, but they're terrible at operations and FBA and replenishment and all the other things, right? And so that particular individual's exit might be very strategically tied to how they can exit with something else to support what they're doing because any buyer is going to want to continue the success that's that's really created uh, the business, right? And so for us, that was new product development. We launched probably between three and ten products a quarter, and these are products that you know weren't just putting a label on it. These were products that have many, many products before it in the pipeline, right? And so it takes sometimes three to twelve months to develop some of the products we were, and so. That revenue, as your revenue grows, you're sinking money into newer products and, and getting them to rank, and you're watching to see how they're going to do. Your cash flows are base, basically there to cover your ad spend, and then you got to reorder again, right? So all these day-to-day things. So if you think of it that way, the the ultimate dream is removing yourself from those day-to-day decisions. And in the beginning, it's not possible, right? In the beginning, you do all of the things, but as you You said you prioritize where your opportunity to create the highest dollar value. And and for us, like I went through the EOS process and those that are familiar with the book Traction or Entrepreneur Operating System. In a previous business, we were blessed to have someone came in and and was was a facilitator for an entire year with our leadership team. And and that's an example where the business, we were all working managers until we created departments. And then we had a team that didn't do the tactical work, but then we were led by a guy to help us get our processes in order. Right. And so those are all along the way levels of 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 growth and removing yourself and make it you know a lot more valuable asset to be able to say here's the entire package and it doesn't need me right to run it i just enjoy the profits which ultimately flow down and measured as you know sde or sellers discretionary earnings
1: yeah yeah so it's uh, so i i always say you know that there are always um, leaders everywhere and there's you know it doesn't mean you don't have to be a company ceo you don't have to be in uh, the the head of any organization we are always we are leading our own lives right so everybody is a leader first of all so uh, what separates leaders how do you know who is a good leader who is a bad leader and uh, you know i i have this idea that it comes down to two things the most important two things that separate good leaders from bad is one is the quality of the decisions they make and the second is their sense of prioritizing what's important. So if you make this company-wide now the whole organization is up in the
0: same direction. Yeah. Mm.
1: it's the It's the values it's you know, aligning everybody to work the same way, and um, and that ultimately translates into higher value. This is not some philosophical, spiritual discussion, right? This is a real money-making discussion where you are saying, guys, this is the kind of organization we are making. This is, and also, by the way, these skills, these are soft skills that team members acquire, and. Practice, they can take it away with them to their next job and next career. So it's always a good thing to have that focus. So it goes back to the, the exit, having exit in your mind as part of your plans. So um, this approach is important. So let's now bring this back to Amazon. So as far as planning for exit for an Amazon seller, walk us through what that plan looks like.
0: Yeah. I mean, at a really high level, it's, it's the, the pillars of your business, right? It's sales, marketing, operations, accounting, technology, right? And so if you think of these different buckets, understanding where your money is going, obviously, here's a, here's a quick nugget to like put our heads in the, in the game. If, if you're going to build a business and hope to sell it someday, right? You're investing in growth today, which means you don't care necessarily about the profits. You want to make sure you can eat and pay your employees, right? But if you're building for an exit uh, in six months, you're going to be very cognizant of every expense. The team, the team uh, building events that you do, the, (laughs) the fun that you have, the, the, Areas of expenses in your PL that are really personal, but not really sure. Like starting to think about all of your expenses because every time you spend a dollar, the reality is those dollars are worth four to six dollars, right? In an exit, so if you look at a trailing twelve month, you could you could have fifty thousand dollars in additional expenses, which is great at the end of the year when you go to pay taxes, right? I reduce my my profit, I'm going to pay less taxes. But in this case, if you go back 12 months, you want to be considering all of these things where the discretionary decision is is very obvious that it's a business expense as opposed to discretionary, right? And so you just get in that mindset. Those are very distinct, different things, but having an exit in mind helps you be aware of that timing, right? And how are you aware of the timing if you're not having a clear vision of where your business is, where it's going, The trends that you're on, right? The impacts in the supply chain and ad spend that are all weighing on your profits, right? And so every seller should absolutely know to the penny, and that's the challenge. Most sellers don't. Where am I making money? What products? What keywords? Right? So these are things when you think of it that way. Like profit is a can be a naughty word at tax time, and it's a great thing when you think about selling your business. Those are counterbalancing metrics, right? So. Yeah, there's a lot there, but I want to dissect some of that.
1: So, um, yeah, I mean, I want to know the, the, I mean, what you mentioned is is really valuable because you want to say we are profitable, we turn so much every month, but then, you know, you have to pay the taxes on it. So what is a good balance with
0: exit in mind? Yeah, that was that's exactly what we faced because if you look at the years of 20, 2020, even a little 2019, but 2020 and 2021, this is the year of the aggregator buzz, right? The years of roll-ups of 13 some billion dollars raised by a hundred plus groups that are rolling up Amazon brands. And if you think about the unique situation they were in is what they were doing was the right time for to, to, to be a buyer. But as inventory of businesses that are for sale or good businesses gets depleted, right? Then you have less good businesses. And so there's, there's a lot of supply and demand that happens in the buying space. But if you're watching this and you're seeing, wow, there's, there's people reaching out to me, right? Inquiring about my business. That's the first thing you say is, oh, someone notices me, right? Someone, someone notices that my brand is doing something. You get a few more of those and you start to say, Whoa, is this thing worth anything? Right. You can jump on a number of websites and you start tracking, uh, whether it's um uh the FBA broker.com or Flippa or website closers or any of these guys that sell online assets, do a quick benchmark. Here's my profit. It was a million dollars last year, and this guy's was about 1.1 million, and he's asking 5 million for his business. Wow, that's uh, almost a five times multiple. Now, you look at your math and you apply that to your business, and you said, wow, this thing might be worth something. So, if you do that every three months, right, you're having a pulse on the market. And so, we, we knew someday we were going to sell. In our journey, so we were in it about six years. About two years before we actually sold, we said, we have to have- good, clean inventory records, and we need to have inventory on our balance sheet and stop doing cash-based accounting. So, here's the deal with this. If anyone's doing cash-based accounting, they really have a 12-month runway that they should be starting to move to accrual now because accrual is going to normalize really what's happening from a profitability standpoint in your business. So, You you can't do that today and then go back last year's tax year and, and make that easy transition, right? So if you're in 2022, you can go back to January and fix that this year. So that's the first thing we did, right? Getting our inventory on the balance sheet, started to think about our CPA strategy and how we view taxes and what is their job. And these are the questions that start opening up profit leaks, right? Areas of your business where maybe you're a little deficient. So I think that's the most practical one. Another one very specifically would be thinking about uh, registered trademarks. Very, very obvious.
1: Hold on, hold on.
0: Because I
1: really want to dissect what you, because you just delivered gold here, but several pieces of it, because a lot of people don't even realize. So uh, the first thing you talked about is accrual basis, cash basis. So uh, let's unpack these concepts. So cash basis means that you bought inventory and they gave you 90-day credit, let's say, until you write the check for that inventory. That doesn't show up on your books, right? That's what cash basis means. But in the meantime, you are selling the inventory. So you are realizing the sales. So you're showing profit at no cost, right? So that's cash basis. Absolutely the wrong way to do it to do business in my book anytime, if you carry, especially if you're carrying inventory. Not the way- Yeah, to- for
0: any seller that looks at their P&L, if they have one, right? Let's say they're on QuickBooks and they run a P&L and they scratch their head and they go, "Yo, yeah, I don't understand. Like my, my profit tool, analytics tool tells me I made this much. But when I look at QuickBooks, it says I made half or it says I made double. Well, why? Because you had timing issues. You had cash going out versus cash coming in. Right. Yeah. And so cash based accounting is really operating with what's in the bank and what's what's not. Um, great point.
1: Yeah. So this is an important thing. And why, uh, so they may say, well, if it's such a bad thing, why does it exist? Because there are some tax benefits to it. There, there are some tax benefits. Like, for example, if so, let's now uh, move on want to accrual. Accrual means basically today I make a sale to you. You don't pay me for 90 days, I cut my invoice. I show those sales on my books, even though I'm not gonna see the cash. Where do I see that? I see that in receivables. So it sits in receivables. And receivables is an asset, just like your bank account, the cash you have in the bank account. And equally, if I buy inventory today from Joe Schmo, Joe Schmoe bills me, and then I don't have to pay for 30 days. I put the inventory in my balance sheet as assets. And at the same time, I show the payable for it, right? Even though I'm not going to write the check for it for 30 days. So I show the assets and against it, I show the liability. So all these things in the end end up on your financial statements. So that is called the accrual system. And it will always show, show you the correct standing of your organization. Now, why do you have cash? Well, they thought, okay, for little guys, rather than make them pay taxes on their income that sits on their receivables, let's give them a little, cut them a little slack, let them declare it once they get the cash. That's It was created for little guys who don't want to be burdened with taxes on income that they haven't realized yet. This does not apply to Amazon sellers. Right. It it, it does not work. Now, the other thing, which is my favorite subject, is inventory accounting. Right.
0: (laughs) Oh, man, you are right on. I was just going to say, if you don't cover this.
1: (laughs) So what does that mean? So that means this. For the benefit of the listeners, you bought a thousand dollars worth of inventory. That's not a cost. You haven't sold anything yet. It's an asset. Now, you print up your balance sheet. says, oh, $1,000. I have $1,000 in assets. Now, let's ship $300 of it to Amazon. But what's the value of your inventory? It's still $1,000, right? So now Amazon starts fulfilling the orders. Everybody loves doing. Well, what's happening to the inventory? It has been deducted. How is that showing up on your books? (laughs) I love it.
0: A couple points on this too. And what's what people forget and, and a lot of sellers in that in-between space and even larger sellers have mastered like running FBA direct from China into Amazon, right? But as the inventory constraints have happened and the limits have occurred, it's not possible to send 20,000 units of something when Amazon says, oh, only can send 1,000. So more people are bringing on 3PLs. And so in our world, as we manage customers, we're thinking about inventory days on hand. And so this is important because you have inventory from the supplier to your warehouse. You have inventory that goes from your warehouse to Amazon. So it's in transit. And then you have Amazon checking in your inventory that's not available to sell. And then you have sales. And then what do you also have? Returns and other things, right? And so every unit is yours until you sell it and when you sell it, it is no longer yours. And so to your point, what is the actual inventory value if I have 7,000 in my 3PL, 2,000 in transit, 200 in check-in, and 6,000 available minus the returns that are pending, right? And so every unit of inventory is an up or down impact to your P&L, right? So the benefit of not tracking versus tracking inventory is it's, it's your profit.
1: Yeah. Okay. So... Uh, I'm glad you said profit, but I just want to put a, a little bit of a perspective around it. So, So this is the bottom line. Now, these things, scenarios that you mentioned, it's in transit to Amazon. It's been received, but it's not yet booked in. So it's still not generating revenue for you. Customers returned it. It's been returned. So refund has been issued. Your account has been debited by Amazon, but where is the inventory that is being received maybe uh, to come back to you or maybe put back into inventory. So all these things. So what do you do as the business owner when you got sales coming in? You just order more inventory to cover these situations so that you always have continuity in your sales, right? So now, what is the impact of, ordering to cover these scenarios. You have no choice. You have to do it. The, the value of inventory you ca- you're carrying at any point in time, it starts to float somewhere around up here. That number, let's assume, is $500,000. And then you look at your profitability. That's why I said, I'm glad you mentioned the word. Your profitability, you look at the margins, percent, your net, 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 20%. Great number, right? And what is that 20%? 100 grand a month. Great number, right? Hundred. Who doesn't want 100 grand net? Guess what? It's going to take you five months just to cover the inventory you carry before exactly. you see a penny. So, yeah. So now... This is so important for people to know. And the only way to know that is by inventory accounting, where you're, you know, and a lot of sellers tell me if this is your experience. People don't even understand the concept.
0: They don't do anything they don't. about it. Well, and it's interesting when you talk about, here's the, here's the, here's the real nutbreaker on this deal. Let's say you're a good-sized business doing, let's what's uh, 5 million bucks in revenue, and you're running 20% profit, right? And 20% profit would be using an analytics software, right? Which would be using cost of goods sold as when an item is sold, it's it's generating a report that tells you you sold it you, because you bought it at this, you sold it at that, this is your profit in accrual-based system. But let's just say you've never moved to accrual and you were only in cash and you never put uh, that... 300,000 or $500,000 of inventory on your balance sheet. You've only expensed it, right? So your P&L does 5 million in revenue, 20% profit. Great, it's a great business. Guess what? Half a million of that has been expensed into inventory, right? When reality is it's it's not an expense, it needs to be on the balance sheet, right? And so that business is actually doing 20% profit plus whatever inventory value they have. And so I, I talked to a gentleman once who, who said, oh, this is a great business. And I saw it and it was, but when you add the inventory in, and the fact of the matter was he had a lot of inventory, he, he was going to get undervalued drastically because he didn't know the difference. And it looks like a five multiple, six multiple. Yeah. We take out the inventory value. It ends up, you add it back in, it might be only a three, right? So absolutely critical point because you have a counterbalance between a balance sheet, always checks and balances, and, it, and, and your profit right? And if one goes up in the inventory bucket, the other one goes down and vice versa.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, unfortunately, this is not something that entrepreneurs are intimately familiar with. And, and also the the two favorite answers that I hear all the time. Oh, we track it in Excel. Well, (laughs) excuse me, how will Excel tell you what the value of your inventory is after today's sales, it won't. So you're always behind. The second thing is they say this, oh, we have our CPA do it. So <laughs> this is the other uh, concept that people totally yep. misled on. CPA is in the business of maximizing the number of tax returns he can prepare in the minimum amount of time. Do you think that he has any interest in the value of your inventory? <laughs>
0: No incentive, except for maybe keeping you around.
1: Well, yeah. And also, you know, they only, if they could help it, not because, you know, I'm, I'm not putting down uh, CPAs. This is not CPAs thing. This is like you need brain surgery and you're going to a dermatologist. So uh, they just need an inventory value to put on the tax return. And, and, and let's face it, as business owners, we know the easiest way to... Adjust your taxable income is by adjusting the inventory value at the end of the year, right? <laughs> so the higher the inventory,
0: and and profits will change, increase.
1: Yeah, lower the inventory, profits will decrease.
0: It'd be an so, expense. So profits decrease. That's
1: all the CPA does. But CPA is not going to give you the information that says. Your liquidity versus your inventory mm. ratio is out of whack. You are going to run out of money. You will get burnt out. Do something. Or you're doing really well. Or, in fact, carry more inventory because if you are carry less inventory, your efficiency is probably very high. But at the same time, you know, you're leaving money on the table. There's always going to be uh, prices to pay. So this is very important and happens to be one of my favorite subjects. And there is no easy answer. You have to have systems in place. You have to have processes in place. Yeah, You absolutely have to get off of uh, cash basis, go to accrual. And the time to do these things is on January 1st or July 1st, because partial months, it doesn't work. The other thing is, whatever you do, it's going to need opening balances those opening balances you put in will have to somehow reconcile to what you declared on the tax return so now suddenly i had a client like that it was crazy they had been declaring numbers on their tax return without putting the adjustments through the books so they had two different tracks going totally in different directions so one day I looked at their books and I said, you know what? There is a huge difference between what you declared. And, and of course, in the process, they had been paying the taxes mm. because the, the CPA was simply putting the journals
0: numbers in yeah,
1: and then never posting them to their books. So uh, this cleaning up the books is number one for your exit, right? So, 100%. so tell me what happens if they have really, you know, bad books and they've got, they built a good business, but the books are no good. What happens when there is a buyer?
0: It, it's a classic example where a, a buyer is a professional buyer. In most cases, if you are an organization that acquires brands, right. And, and that's part of the reason I wrote the book, because you're dealing with folks that have lots of experience in the M&A space. And, and even myself, like, I've learned through trial and error in doing it, but there's not a lot of resources that help the little guy understand that these are tactics. Like if your books aren't in line and you don't know your own numbers, they're going to give you a valuation or an offer based on the numbers they come up with. And would you rather use their numbers or your numbers? Well, most likely their numbers are going to be Less than yours. Why? Because it drives the value of the deal. So you can't say no, no, no. This particular expense, you know, is is not an ad back. And you go, oh, yes, it is. Let me show you why it's an ad back, right? And in that example, an add back is another piece of foreign language, right? And what we choose to spend our money on sometimes post mortem. We have chances to recoup that because your business did not need to spend that money. And if you can justify why that twenty thousand dollar experiment will improve your profits next year, because you won't have that expense, that's twenty thousand test times four or five. That's a hundred thousand dollar find, right? And so buyers are really good, and it's important to to build a relationship with a buyer. And most of them aren't going to be shady, but it's in at the end of the day your numbers. Need to be aligned with their numbers, and if you don't understand how to reconcile those two, you're gonna you're gonna lose out on on probably some big six finger six figure numbers. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, uh, as we record this episode, we just heard that uh, Elon Musk pulled out of the Twitter deal, forty four billion. Yeah. Well, that's what happens because he discovered stuff. Obviously, they're not gonna you know disclose
0: what that disclose is. the details, right?
1: Uh, but he pulled out of the deal. So uh, best, case, best case scenario, uh, think about selling your business or somebody being interested as buying a home. So when, you, when you're buying a home, what is the, the, one of the first things you do? You, you get an inspection done on it, right? So you see if the foundation is good, if there is like rotting or whatever. And then that guy is totally agnostic. It will come in and he'll say, okay, this is the work that needs to be done. So what do you do with that as the buyer? You negotiate, right? <laughs> so that's exactly it. So your best your so best case scenario as a buyer, if you see something, oh you know, I can get that repaired, I can get that repaired, it's no big deal, it's no big deal. And then, best case scenario, you still go ahead with the purchase of the home, but you negotiate now harder because now you've got a bargaining chip. Worst case scenario, you say, oh, my God, I can't deal with this. Forget it. You walk away. That's what it is. So if your books are not in order, your systems are not in place to show your numbers, you better start today, right? Because you are well, if,
0: risky. Yeah. Well, if you back up one step further in the example of the, of the house, when you do an inspection, that's usually done after you have an accepted purchase agreement right? In this case, you don't get an accepted purchase agreement up front. You get a letter of intent. And a letter of intent is a number. And after the inspection, that would be called due diligence. So so you have two ends of it. You have on the back end, the due diligence where they might claw back, right? Some of the profits. But more importantly is on the front end, if they come back and tell you they're going to offer this based on this EBITDA or SDE, and you don't know your numbers and how they how they are discrepant to that, you're going to accept an offer. And you might find out your business is more valuable through the due diligence phase. Right. And now, now you're going, well, I'm this far in. I don't have my negotiating power anymore. You lose it. And, and you're not going to be able to maybe get those dollars you should have had on the front end.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, for anybody building value, I mean, it's it's hard work, right? On Amazon, building something on Amazon is hard work. You have to, mm-hmm. uh, you, money you have to spend, but money you can replace. But the the kind of tears and the, the heartache, that sleepless nights, you know, getting suspended and submitting a Man. plan of action and getting back reinstated and trying to catch up with your lost rank and blah all these things, you do it all, and then it just Goes away with one stroke Oof. of pen because it's you know you, you haven't kept your books right. So uh, that needs to be so. First of all, every Amazon seller needs to plan their exit, and they need to get their systems, which will then put their books in order. Mm-hmm. Uh, and primarily, with focus on inventory accounting because that's the, that's where the biggest. You can cut your rent, you can cut your payroll, you can cut anything. You cannot cut inventory, <laughs> inventory you have to carry all the time,
0: right? Well, it, it's it's also inside of that, when you talk about doing your books, like a CPA is going to publish the final version, but you need also a bookkeeper. And, and, and when you think about Amazon and how finicky things are, if you get a payment every two weeks and your payment crosses over months, you might have sure. three days in a new month and, you know, whatever the difference is, Uh, seven days or whatever, 11 days is in another month. And so bookkeeping right there would be, you should journal entry the actual sales that happen in the calendar month and journal entry the other in the new month. And then second to that, I've even seen big sellers not even gross to netting their sales. So if you sell something to Amazon on Amazon for $60, they don't give you 60. Sure the customer pays 60 plus some taxes. Amazon withholds it and only sends you, depending on if you're FBA or not, they might send you 40 bucks. They might send you 30 bucks. Well, some people put $30 into their income statements or their their, their balance sheets. And as they go through this whole thing, they're going to go, I don't understand, right? I don't understand like, or, or they don't care or they don't know the impact. And so now you have this business that has our deflated sales that aren't even real. So all these things.
1: Yeah. I mean, all this, this is, this is so important. The books have to be in the right order. There has to be proper accounting of the settlement reports that come out every other week. Proper accounting means that you take every single order, whatever the order was that was generated on Amazon system, you post the gross order value. And then you post all the expenses. Amazon commission. Amazon commission. FBA fees. Advertising, blah, blah, blah. And then whatever the net is, is the payment that you receive. You receive that. Imagine you cut an invoice, you sold a thousand pieces. And then at the same time, the guy you sold the merchandise to did your books and charged you 500 bucks. So when you write the check, fine. When, when he writes the check, he'll deduct his 500 bucks, right? So that's what it is. That's the operation. But you, 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 you need to post it to your accounting correctly this way. Otherwise, you are under declaring. And uh, you know at, at best, you are under declaring your sales. And of course, Amazon is an online operation. By the way, IRS and the States have rights to
0: the records.
1: Yeah, pull the records. So suddenly, you know, you, and, and Amazon is not gonna blink. They're gonna declare whatever the, the sales are. And then if on your tax return, you declared less, well, you're gonna get audited. And I didn't know, it doesn't matter. You're gonna have to defend yourself. and mm. uh, And probably, you know, no IRS agent, is gonna be compassionate because they are there for one purpose: collect more money from you, right? <laughs> then they're gonna figure out it's uh, it's just so important. So, uh, Josh, let's talk about the team. What does it take to build an Amazon account? What are the roles and responsibilities that a seller should identify and then have somebody take that job?
0: Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about just a straight individual selling on Amazon, right? You can only do that so much, but the, the core, I mean, you layer in as more activity happens, right? It's more specialized roles. And so day one is you're the founder, CEO, bookkeeper, marketer, product developer, warehouse, right? And so you go through that whole list. The goal is undoing all of those roles. Well, Amazon, you said it earlier, has done a great job of allowing you to start with, without, any warehouse and without any customer service people, beautiful. Well, now now you're a product guy, idea guy, and a sourcing guy, right? Um, for me, so here's what I found. I'm I'm more of a visionary. I'm not I'm not the operator, the grinder, the guy who wants to refine and make things really really efficient. I went to a conference, uh, a Prosper Show conference, and saw um, uh, Michael Gerber, the author of the E Myth, right and bottom line is it's, it's the same principles in EOS in some ways where you're going to create higher dollar value an hour work by working on your business, building things, infrastructure, uh, as opposed to doing the work that you could pay someone else $20 an hour to do. Right. And in some cases in Minnesota, we pay our warehouse guys $25 by the way we're hiring. So if you're in Minneapolis, uh, come check us out. Um, but you know, if you think of it that way, like it, there might be a point in the day where you're you're making you know two dollars an hour doing things that are aren't valuable at all. Like what's what's the point in that? Let's so I, I've it learned. The,
1: yeah, let's yep. put it in the uh, context of imagine a company that has their products, their uh, branded products, and but they've done B two B, and now they want to start on Amazon. So what is a responsible leader? to do in terms of organizing the operation? What are the roles that he needs to say, okay, we need people to do
0: these things? Yeah, so that scenario is important because it starts with first someone saying, hey, Amazon should be a marketplace you're on, right? And and usually in those examples, if you're a B2B business, you have an established revenue stream. And so that example is a little unique because that sales director or product manager, whoever he is, has sales in this channel, but now you're going to this channel. And now you got to be super conscientious of, of what are the price points being sold in the market. Right. So it always sort of starts with this merchant or this, you know, this mindset of growth. Right. And that's all we all start, you know, like I see an opportunity, right? I see a way to solve a problem. But but then you need to move into the analytics phase, right? Is this is this juice worth the squeeze? Right. Is this lemon, if I squeeze it, can I make lemonade out of what it comes out or is it just lemons? And that's analysis and analytics, right? But but once you decide to go on board, this is where it gets tricky. Test and test fast and fail fast, right? And what does that mean? Find a product you're going to sell, list it on Amazon, send some inventory to FBA. And guess what? That guy might even, uh, he might've even gone to the warehouse to figure it out himself and wrote down some notes and hopefully he can get buy-in to, to get warehouse support, right? that's the entrepreneur everyone has to have a little of that i think there's opportunity i see opportunity let me go get opportunity but i think that's the biggest skill set beyond that it's all about the execution well how do you what do you execute you need to know what to execute and that's buying the right amount of inventory so for us i wore all these hats through the evolution but the first thing i did was systematized our inventory planning process by using spreadsheets sure But it was very, very detailed, understanding the sales velocity each and every week, how much inventory I had in our warehouse, how much was at FBA, how much was on the way to FBA, how many units we sold. And ongoing, it was simply now my brain translated to a spreadsheet. And so now I paid someone else to do that work just by sending POs, right? So doing the work was like, I'm going to try to guess, uh, I'm going to order a thousand pieces, hope that I can sell them. Well, you do that a few times, you add more products, you build a spreadsheet, and next thing you know, I need to hire someone to make sure we never run out of stock. That was our first key hire.
1: So that's demand planning, which, you know, demand I planning. over and over. Yeah, so that's one, that's one role for sure. And uh, what, uh, other than that, what else
0: would you have? Well, I, I think on the front end, right, if, if you're a, a B2B company or a business that has a brand... What works on your website for your B2B customers with very small descriptions and little bullet points and crappy images, like never gonna work, right? It's a different animal. And so, like, even that, what can people do? The game has changed in the beginning, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, I go back in the early days, it wasn't easy. You didn't have Fiverr, you know, you didn't have upwork. You had mechanical Turk and you had lots of crowdsourced people for data, but was hard to find creatives, right? But now you can find them everywhere. Knowing what to do, what is the recipe? So it's way harder today than it used to be. But we can find any expert we want online this fast now, right? So, so talking about content, uh, I'm talking about yeah, content for sure is all outsource that, yeah. right? Hire the best people that do design work. Hire the best people that do copyright work, and and. You need to find the fine line between your brain and what you can do, but we continue, we own the data analysis portion, we keep that internally, right? Because that's how we decide go or no go. And
1: what data are you referring to about analyzing?
0: Well, and I'm thinking about what products we're gonna go after or new markets, right? What what I what that product is, how big the market is, what does the competition look like? How many guys have more than four and a half stars, right? Are they on a positive trend? Are they a recent seller, right? Is there someone that's coming in fast, right? How many sellers have launched in the last few months? Understanding is this a category people are starting to find and move into, understanding your risks, moving into then costs and understanding what it might actually cost Setting up a campaign to see what your what your bids might be to determine, geez, to even get somewhere, I probably got to pay two to three dollars a click as opposed to a different category that might be only 75 cents a click, right? Because it's a very underserved market. So all those analytics determine should we launch this product or that product? Back to your point. How do I prioritize? Well, there's two ways. One is finding the products that you already have that are being sold by other people and taking over your listings. You can do your searching. The other is you're the first guy to create the listing. That's obviously harder. So, you know, that, so, I think I covered a lot there, but I want to make sure we stop.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, about the, so let's say that you've done your research and then you launched your product. It's your own brand. So you are the only one selling it. What analytics are you watching?
0: As I'm selling it or before? As you are selling. Okay. So I'm going to assume that I'm launching a new product. I have zero past sales. I have zero reviews, right? And our strategy for many, many years has been um, leveraging traditional advertising and, and Amazon's advertising. And so very simply, creating a listing, if you build it, they will not come. You need to drive traffic to it right? And so very, very, very simple. You're looking at how many people are coming to my page when I'm bidding on money? How much am I spending? How many clicks am I getting? And what is my conversion rate, right? Very quickly, you know, the following day, if you even made any money, right? Uh, Well, in real time, you could, it's a little delayed as you know, right? But ultimately, my goal is, I just want to sell something. I don't even care if I'm making money at this point, right? But I want to make sure people are finding the page, and that my, my ads are showing up and that I'm able to actually get click-throughs because if I look at some products, top keywords are the wrong targeted item. They should be bidding more on the very most aggressive keyword, right? And so all of those things are very important to back into where will this thing go.
1: Yeah, so, um, I mean, you're right. There, uh, there's a couple of keywords that you, I heard you mention. One of them is click-through rate. Click-through rate is, in my book, there are two magic bullets for success on Amazon. One is click-through rate. That means when people search, not necessarily advertised, people search the keyword, your listing will show up. It will show up for two reasons. It will show up because you paid to to appear under that keyword search. The second is... You've done well. Your performance of your listing organically, Amazon will bring it up. So, magic bullet one is: how do you get the people to click on your listing? How do you increase more of the people to click on it? Now, you—you yeah. you, this is moving target all the time, or, and it is done per keyword, and you have to do that. So, let and industry average is usually one percent, right? So they they say, if you appear 100 times, one person will click. How do you make that one, two, or three, or four? That's the first. Let's say that you've done that or you stay with 1%. So now the person clicked on your listing is on your product page. Now the goal is to get the person to buy it. Mm -hmm. That's called the conversion rate. And that's the second magic bullet. And Really, it's the most important between the two because you cannot always control the click it's a huge universe out there. There's a lot of keywords. But if you're bringing somebody to your page, you've got to do something to get them to convert. And guess what? That conversion data is not available unless you go to business reports and download it and look at it. And even when you look at it, it means nothing because you have no history behind and right. do, would you agree that is a very important piece of analytics that you must be watching historically with trends, but it's not available?
0: 100%. I mean, I, I've actually hardly prioritized click-through rate. It, it, it is a magic bullet because ultimately it's the first gate, right? Yes. But okay. But when you think about it, conversion rate is easiest to measure and easiest to influence, right? And, and why is that? Well, you build trust when customers buy your product. Well, if there's no reviews, there's no trust yet. Well, then I need to wow them with the images and I need to wow them with my content and it needs to show up for the right people that search it. Well, if my ad doesn't show up, good luck. But if my ad shows up to your point about the click-through rate, Well, your images, you're at least at a minimum, your number one image has to be better than your competition, right? Click-through rate, magic bullet. Second to that is great. You might have paid to be positioned high, have a high click-through rate. Oh my goodness. Well, but you're not converting and you're losing money, right? right? So to your point, like those are great metrics to really measure from a relativity standpoint. But it's interesting too. It's not just you have exact, broad, and phrase, right? And, and all of these have different bids and they have different click through rates. But that's just in keyword product product search. But then you think about video ads or headline search they used to be called, right? Or video ads. The click through rates, limited real estate, are two, three, four, five x higher click through rate, right? So when we first launched, that's how branded seller got started. Is there wasn't a solution to create videos at scale and And so videos have been a phenomenal low cPC nice conversions so in, in fact, the study we did it, we increased our click through, we increased our conversion um and there was another really important one that might have been AOV, but either way, you could see that those video ads were driving additional incremental sales because they were so large and they yeah. take up space yeah. yeah, and they didn't cost as much so
1: yeah. So, I mean, these are so important. Um, So, so Josh, you've given the recipe really for people to maximize their value. One is get your books in order. But first of all, plan for your exit. If you haven't yet got a plan, plan for your exit immediately. Second, clean up your books, get your inventory accounting in order. Third, make sure that you are on top of your conversion rate. If it's not good increase it and then your click-throughs try to hunt for higher click-throughs those things will get you a much much better valuation so uh, what I'm curious about is how you got into this business so you know I always ask people you know why and and they talk about the business opportunity and this business opportunity presented blah blah but Then I ask why again and why. So you mentioned EOS. EOS is the product of entrepreneurs organization. So, you know, I happen to be a former EO member. And in EO, we have a saying, if you want to get to the root cause of an issue, you ask the question why seven times. So guess what? In the question of why are you doing this? It always goes back to the childhood growing up. You did this, you did that. So tell me about yourself, why you're doing what you're doing, and how does that connect to your experience growing up?
0: Uh, Well, my experience growing up, I think, led why I'm doing what I'm doing in an interesting way. You have two dynamics. I had a father and a grandfather, both, let's call them entrepreneurs for the sake of argument. One was a business owner, while the business was Himself, that's my father. And I had a grandfather who built a, a trucking company. So my dad was a copier repair guy. And my grandfather owned a trucking company with lots of trucks, lots of drivers, and two very distinct things I, I know between the two. The truck driver owner had had always had money, but he was always working. Right. And my father had lots of time and freedom, but he didn't make very much money. And we had a family, we had four kids, and so. Neither were interesting to me, (laughs) right? Because my dad was home playing ball with me every night. And I'm like, well, that's awesome. My dad's home, you know, but why would I ever be a business owner? Like he, you know, like he drives the worst car and, you know, we only had what we could afford. And that's okay. We, nothing happened. But my grandfather did well. So that, that gave me a skewed view. In my 20s, I started getting the itch. It was like, this person tells me what to do. This person tells me how I should work. This person, you know, says, if you do these things, then you might get promoted, right? And, and so that, that journey of seeing father, grandfather, you know, wasn't even an interest of mine until I worked for a large company of 50,000 employees, Best Buy Corporate. And I finally realized I was just a number, just a cog. And, and it was okay. It was great culture, amazing company. But for me, I wanted to build things and help. And, and I wanted to control my own destiny, right? So I got into it for that reason. I do not want to be at work today. I don't feel like it. I, I want to be ideating and building this. I don't want to worry about process documentation, right? so that came with the job, but it also comes with the business ownership. Well, I get to choose where that falls, right? I get to choose to outsource that. So it was the freedom of of time and money. That's why we that's how I got into it, the entrepreneurship world. but this business, Branded Seller, as a result of seeing organizations build and grow and scale, I've seen and made personally lots of mistakes. But I've, I've seen, we grew up with the game changing. We, we were selling products that did not have private label. No one did at this time. It was only the genuine products. So I feel like the depth of my knowledge and the experience led us to do it ourselves. And so we built brands and sold brands and bought brands and sold brands. And now we said, after this exit, there's a lot of people out there that have very strong capabilities to build a great business, hire a bookkeeper, hire a CPA, get some good analytics, get their house in order, but they're afraid to sell their own business. They have to hire a broker. And so my thinking was, listen, I've been, uh, this way a long time i want to i want to sell something at the highest price i can and sell a lot of them and i'm um, if i'm going to buy something i want to buy you know at the right price <laughs> and sell high like principle applies in in marketing and selling your business and and so we led to this idea of writing a book and helping then others build support grow their value and eventually exit and so that's what we do that's how i got into it and it came from solving our own problems trying to reach goals that we didn't know how to reach and learning the hard way. And so that's, that's what we provide for others.
1: Well, I think, uh, I mean, I listened to you, you know, <clears throat> you know, we are always in business, so we are thinking business and talking business, but really the reason why we're doing that, it goes back to where we came from. So <laughs> what I'm hearing from you is you kind of consolidated your father and your grandfather into one for a higher value that's that's your model that's what i'm hearing Uh, that's it yeah you said i want to do something like my father did and then have my free time whenever i want and at the same time i don't want to listen to anybody but that's not enough i want to be like my grandfather who make a lot of money and then have a lot of things so now you combine that's what you've been pursuing and Amazon happens to be just the the platform to do it it's uh, hundred percent that's great so Josh tell us how people can reach you give us your contact information we'll put that on the website and on YouTube with your episode but uh, give us the contact information
0: Please find me on LinkedIn, uh, Josh Dietrich. You can see me there, uh, Brandon Seller, and a number of other things I'm up to. Uh, send me an email, josh at brandedseller.com, or simply visit brandedseller.com, and you can find ways to get in touch with me and book, book a time on the calendar if you just love the chat. Uh, we're in the process of revamping the site, and we're excited about what that's going to look like and really tell the story about, you mentioned, put this together with that together. And for the first time, we're taking an operations warehouse model technology, pairing it with marketing. And so our business model is maximize value through the right hand and the left hand working together and taking the best of operations and marketing. So look forward to connecting with those that uh, just want to chat and learn.
1: Great. Thank you, Josh. This was great. Uh, Thank you again.
0: You're welcome. Thanks, Nick.
1: And this brings us to the end of another episode, and I'll see you on the next one.
0: Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate, and review our show. And be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends.